0: Please be seated. Ask the question out on the streets of the city and the surrounding towns. Ask the question Who was Jesus? What will you hear? Oh, he was a great teacher. Oh, he was a great prophet. Or if anybody are New Age adherents, perhaps they might say, Oh, he was one of the ascended masters. One day, Jesus asked his own disciples who people were saying that he was. In Matthew 16, beginning with 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Or others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. He did not learn this from any human being. Such a great testimony to what God had done in Peter's life and heart. And yet, the same Gospel of Matthew tells us that right after this tremendous confession of Peter's faith in Jesus, Jesus began to talk about his coming rejection and his coming death. And I'm about to read to you another passage four verses after Peter said, You're the Christ, Son of the living God. So Matthew 16:21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, That it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. His disciples couldn't or wouldn't understand this. They couldn't conceive of any such thing. In verse 22, but Peter took him aside. Peter who just said, hey, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, son of the living God. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. But heaven would not and heaven could not forbid it. Because the death of Jesus upon the cross would be the center of history. The center of God's dealing with humanity. Our gospel reading tonight comes from the gospel of John. The gospel of John opens with these words in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He came to his own people even they rejected him the stories of that rejection take up a, a disproportionate share of the four gospels when you look at the four gospels a full 20% or more is given to the account of Jesus's death and his burial i should say trial and death and burial No other aspect of Jesus' life gets so much attention. Nothing else comes close. If the purpose of Jesus was to be a teacher, wouldn't his death have just been a footnote? Oh yeah, some people got really ticked off at him and they had him killed. But hey, luck would have it. We We preserved his writings and here they are. These are the things he said and nothing else needs to be said. But the Scriptures devoting a whole 20% of the story of Jesus to His death tell us that no, the death of Jesus has a much greater importance in history than as his being a teacher or as being anything else for that matter except that He was the Son of God. The Apostle Paul would say this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians two two. For I have decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And to the churches of Galatia, he would write in Galatians 6.14, As for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross... My interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. But the disciples didn't, couldn't, or wouldn't understand that, especially especially when it was happening right before their eyes. So many times Jesus had tried to tell them again and again that he was going to be betrayed to the Jewish leaders, then turned over to the Gentiles, and then killed. At first, they opposed any such idea, as did Peter when Jesus first talked about this with him. They would hear nothing of a Messiah. They would hear nothing of their master who would be killed. But in time, they mostly seemed to act as though they just didn't hear him say it. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. He will be killed, but three days later He will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. And so, when Jesus was seized, tried, and executed, the disciples were devastated. They were incredulous. They couldn't believe what was happening from the disciples' very human point of view, that Friday all that they had believed in, all that they had sacrificed for, all that they had longed for, all that they were hoping for, was gone. With nothing left. Because the one they had hoped in the one they had called their master, the one they had called their rabbi, their teacher, had died. And not just died, was killed brutally, humiliatingly, shamefully on a cross. Those disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their families. They had left their businesses. They had left their livelihoods. And now they must be asking, for what? What was the point? They'd stake their lives and their futures on Jesus. What a mistake some of them might have thought. If only we could have seen this. They had thought Jesus was going to set up the kingdom of God on earth and include them in it. Clearly not, not now, not like this. And now, now he was being publicly and shamefully executed, hanging naked, bleeding and dying for everyone to see and make fun of, nailed to a cross, and God didn't rescue him. How could the Messiah die? How could the Son of God be killed? How could even a righteous man hang on a tree, much less the Son of God being hung on a tree? For God's own law had decreed that any man whose body was hung on a tree was cursed by God. The darkness of the sky that day seemed only to speak out and aloud the darkened hopes of Jesus' disciples as their world came apart. And their world was coming apart, but it was not coming apart in the way they thought it was. Why, why so much attention in Scripture given to the death of Jesus? Because it was something that Jesus' entire life had been pointing towards. Luke says that when Jesus' parents took him to the temple as a baby to, uh, for the dedication as one of the firstborn sons. That there was a man there whom God had shown that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And it doesn't say exactly how, but somewhere along the way, God said to him, that's the one. And he walked over and began to talk with the parents and took that child in his arms. And so in Luke two twenty-eight, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very heart. Soul. And a sword will pierce your very soul. As a new mother, what would you think when you heard that? When Jesus was warned to flee a particular le- region because Herod Antipas wanted to kill him, he responded, in Luke thirteen, thirty-three, yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Further on in Luke's Gospel we read in eighteen thirty-one. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what He was talking about. They failed to grasp what Jesus was talking about. If they who had walked with Him, if they who had conversed with Him, if they who had heard His words, if they who had watched His miracles failed to grasp what He was saying, failed to grasp what He was all about, what His purpose was. how much more you and i might fail to grasp the meaning of his crucifixion have you have you grasped these things in fact all of the history of israel pointed to those 3 or 4 hours on the cross when jesus was there dying Abraham, the one whom God had chosen be- to become the father of the of nation who had become God's people, was promised a son. But for year after year, Abraham and Sarah had no children. And he and Sarah, his wife, had grown old waiting and waiting and waiting. Until they felt they were too old. But then. Then Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Isaac who was the son of promise. All of the promises were wrapped up in Isaac. Isaac through whom God would establish the nation. Isaac through whom God would make so many descendants of Abraham. That they'd be like. The stars of the sky. Isaac, who would become God's people. Isaac, the son of God's promise to Abraham. Then one day, one dark day, came a chilling request. Sacrifice Isaac to me. Sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise, to me. But how then could there be descendants? How then could there be a nation? How then could there be a people? If Isaac were sacrificed... God. But it was a test. Abraham would not have to sacrifice the son of promise. No human father, no human mother ever would ever be asked to sacrifice a child like that. The story, the account of that is that as they reached the top of a mountain, Isaac looked at his dad and said, Dad, here's the wood, there's the fire, where's the sacrifice? And it's recorded that Abraham looked at him and said, God himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. God did provide the sacrifice. And that day it was a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. But God also would provide the sacrifice for the sins of the world. You see, 2,000 years after Abraham was told that he would never have to sacrifice his son, God sacrificed his son, Jesus God sacrificed his own son of promise as he allowed Jesus to be laid upon the altar of the cross and nails hammered into his hands and feet and hung there to bleed and die in humiliation. And just as Isaac, through his life, had many descendants, Scripture tells us that Jesus, through his death, would have many descendants. How? The prophet Isaiah, either knowingly or unknowingly, wrote this about Jesus centuries before his birth. Isaiah 53, 8. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to give him grief. Yet, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So, so who is Jesus? Jesus chief among all the other things. He is the once and for all sacrifice. God's once and for all sacrifice for the sins of you and of me. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia in chapter 3, verse 13, but, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And as Paul also wrote to the church in Corinth, in Second Corinthians 5, verse 20, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin. That we could be made right with God through Christ. So who is Jesus? Yes, He's a, he's a teacher. He taught. Yes, He's a prophet. He spoke forth the Word of God in the name of God. Yes, He's He's a master. He had disciples then. He's had disciples down the thousands of years. He has disciples now. But He's so much more. He is the master. He is the Son of God, dying under the very curse of God the Father for the sins of the world, including my sins and your sins. For God indeed did provide the sacrifice. He provided the sacrifice, the once and for all offering, for all who would choose to believe and to follow Him. But the great question tonight, the great question for all eternity, is this one thing Whom do you? say that Jesus is? And the follow-up question to that is this. If you say that Jesus is Lord, how has or will He affect the trajectory of your life on this earth as well as the world to come?